I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. Surprised? So was I. (laughs) Every once in a while you run out of week before you run out of work, right? Well, that happened to me this week. I ran out of week before I ran out of work. And the book of Romans is so important to get right, I just didn't feel like what I was preparing was going to be ready for today. So I switched directions and landed on 1 Peter chapter 2. I've said before that sermons are kind of like casseroles. Sometimes they need a little more time in the oven before you put them on the table. Today we're going to be in 1 Peter 2 while the Romans casserole continues to bake. Here's why I picked this passage for today. Because Peter says here, how Christians are supposed to live in the year 2014. Now, it doesn't actually say 2014 in 1 Peter, but it just about could. What Peter had to say to those Jewish Christians living in exile in Asia Minor toward the end of the first century is exactly what you and I need to hear in the last quarter of the year 2014. What Peter had to say was profound and encouraging and challenging and life-changing. Let's read it. 1 Peter chapter 2, just two verses, 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Would you pray with me? Lord, in some ways it's increasingly hard to live as a Christian in 2014. And we need guidance. We need divine guidance for how to live. And I pray that these two verses would do a little work in our life of recalibrating us, resetting our direction, reminding us how to walk, where to walk. I pray, Father, that You would use this in our hearts and in our lives to give us wisdom for life in 2014. I pray that Your Holy Spirit would empower the preaching and the hearing of Your Word. In the name of Jesus, I ask it. Amen. I've entitled this message, Living the Christian Life Today. Living the Christian Life, not yesterday, but today. It was true 2,000 years ago when Peter wrote it, but it's so perfect for you and me today. In this passage, the Apostle Peter is going to use the word urge, or exhort, or King James, beseech. Those are strong words. He's going to be calling us to a certain lifestyle, a certain way of living, a road to walk. It's a way of living that might pinch a bit when we first put it on, but we will find it over time it will wear just right. Now I think because he's going to go straight to the heart of our lives today and because he just might step on a few toes, Peter begins with a very important word in verse 11. The word is translated, dear friends, in the NIV. Do you see that? 
The New American Standard Bible and the ESV have beloved. The King James Version has dearly beloved. The Greek word is agape toy. Have you heard of the word agape for love, right? Sacrificial kind of love. Well, this is that. But it's the people that are loved. This is the, the noun form. The ones who are loved. Peter is saying, I urge you, ones who are loved, to act a certain way. Agape toy. I urge you to live this way in 2014. Now the question about agape toy is, loved by whom? Who loves the agape toy? Who loves the loved ones? The obvious answer would be Peter here. Dear ones, whom I, Peter, love, I urge you to live a certain way. But I think we should not miss the significance of this word agape toy falling on the heels of verses 9 and 10. I haven't read those to you yet. Look back up. Look up at 9 and 10 and see what Peter has just said to these people. Verse 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy from God. So who's the agape toy? Who loves the agape toy? God. Ones loved by God Himself. Now before we get into what He says we ought to do, we just ought to sit there for just a little bit and bask in that idea. If you're a Christian, you are the agape toy. You are beloved of God. We saw this in Romans 1. Remember a few weeks ago, about a month ago? I said, put it on a little card, put it on your bathroom mirror. Say this to yourself each day. I am loved by God. I am loved by God. The hymn writer says, O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song, loved by God Himself. That in and of itself should be adequate motivation for compliance with any life choices that God desires for me to make. If God starts any sentence with, Matt, Agape toy? Loved one? I urge you to do this. That should be much more than enough to engender my obedience. Being loved by God makes all the difference in how we live in 2014. Do you know it? Do you need to hear that this morning? Maybe one of the reasons why we're derailed from Romans this week is for me to just say again, and for you to hear it, you are loved by God. If you need any proof, look to the cross. You are loved by God. Now let's see what he wants. He started by saying, Beloved. And then he says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. Now just stop there for a second. Okay. The first thing God wants for us to do is to recognize that we are aliens and strangers in the world. Our link group on Sunday nights has just started studying the book of 1 Peter together. And we've already been talking about this theme of being uh, aliens and strangers in the world. Now this word alien does not mean E.T. or Yoda or Doctor Who or Mork from Ork. Okay? It generally means someone who does not belong officially to the country he or she is living in. In other words, someone who is not a citizen. 
I like to joke with my mother-in-law when she was living that she was an alien. She was not a citizen of Canada. She was a U.S. citizen that married a Canadian citizen and came to live permanently in Canada, but she never became a Canadian citizen before she died. So at her funeral, I held up her little folder of immigration documents that she gathered but never turned in because she was always a California girl at heart. Okay? She, she was born and raised in California, and you never could take that, that, that U.S. of A, that California, out of her even though she lived in Canada. She was, and in that sense only, an alien. The second word here, a stranger, it doesn't mean somebody who's strange. It generally means one who lives temporarily in a certain country or area. For example, a hitchhiker just passing through, or a migrant farm worker, someone who's in an area or country, but not expected to make this area or country their permanent home. That's a stranger. At bottom, these two words describe together a kind of person who does not belong. One who does not have citizenship and one who does not expect to stay forever. Now, do you see how this relates? Peter says, Agape toy, I urge you to live your lives as people who do not belong. Point number one of three, don't fit in. Do I know how to live as a Christian in 2014? Don't fit in. Because you and I don't really belong here. The Christian slaves in the deep south used to sing, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Paul said in Philippians, Our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we're citizens. The Lord Jesus said that we are in the world but we're not of the world. You and I don't belong here. But too many Christians act like they do. We want to be loved. We want to be accepted. We want to correspond to the people around us and be well-liked. I mean, we walk around with a like button on us. Like this, like this, like this. Like me. Please like me. Right? We want the world to like us. But God calls us to stick out like a sore thumb, to be different, to not fit in. Now, I'm not talking here about a Christian dress code, though being an alien, a stranger, does have implications for the way in which we dress. Ladies, do you dress just like the world dresses? Do you take your cues from the world? If you get all of your ideas of how to dress from the magazines at the checkout counter, there's something wrong. And I'm not talking here about a legalistic list of do's and don'ts, though Being an alien and a stranger certainly does affect the list of things we will do and the list of things we most certainly will not. I'm talking here about being a different kind of person than those around us. A person whose character and morals and actions match the world to come more than they match the world that is. Does that make sense? Let me give you some for instances. If everyone at work pads their expense account, why don't you? If everyone at school uses the Lord's precious name as a swear word, why don't you? If all your friends spend all their discretionary money on a bigger and better vehicle each year, why don't you? If the discussion around the water cooler is gossip, talking about people, or dirty jokes, why don't you join in? If your buddies say revenge is sweet and that you're justified in bitterly not speaking to her ever again, 
Why do you go and forgive? If your friends stay up late on Saturday nights watching stupidity on television or wasting time on the internet so that they're too tired to worship God with the full glad heart He deserves, why are you in bed early on Saturday night? If the people around you are paranoid about terrorism or the government or the economy or rampaging viruses, why are you confident and secure? Why are you different? The answer should be because you belong to another kingdom than the one you you live in. Yeah, you live here, but you don't belong here. You're an alien and a stranger in this world. Just like my my mother-in-law couldn't get California out of her heart, we shouldn't be getting heaven out of ours. You don't take your cues from the world. You don't do things the way the world does. You don't value things the way the world values. You know that you're leaving this world soon, so you better not get too comfortable. That's why we give, right? If Christianity isn't true, then you made a big mistake putting something in the offering plate this morning. You could be buying something with that. Or you could be saving up. But as it is, you were sending it on because you're a citizen of the kingdom. Aliens and strangers don't buy things the same way regular citizens do. They don't dress the same way. They don't talk the same way. They don't even feel the same way. They have different agendas, different hopes, different values, different aspirations. Beloved, don't fit in. Now, the examples I've just given you may not strike you as the exact area where you're weak. You know where you struggle to fit in, where the rest of the world's going this way, and you know you should be going against the flow. But it's hard. Maybe I didn't say the one for you. Why don't you ask God right now where He wants you to change? What area of your life looks just like an unbeliever's life and needs some adjustment? I want to invite you to write it down on the back of your bulletin with a prayer for God to actually make you stick out. I'm going to give you a couple seconds. to Agape toy? Don't fit in. Number two, God says, don't give in. Don't give in. Let's finish verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Here's, this is hard in 2014, but don't give in. Abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. That's a strong word, isn't it? War. I almost titled this message, The Soul War. Peter is saying there's a war being waged that's more important than the war on terrorism. It's the war being waged inside of yourself by your own sinful desires on your soul. The King James Version renders this more literally, fleshly lusts. That is, desires that arise out of your sinful human nature, out of being a fallen human. The English Standard Version translates it, passions of the flesh. See, you and I have an internal enemy, our old nature. For me, it's the old Matt. For you, it's the old whoever you are. That rises up regularly to try to defeat our holiness and our hope. Don't let it. Sometimes we feel that pressure from outside, but we ignore that internal conflict, right? So we have that external pressure of the world. We have the internal battle of the flesh. Peter is saying that there's these 
internal terrorists called sinful desires, and they want to get you. You know what they are. You know what's in your heart. Lust, envy, malice, unbelief, greed, fear, selfish ambition, discord, jealousy, anger, rage, pride. These all came with the package when you and I were born. Batteries were included. They're the way the world works. They're the bad news we saw of Romans chapter 1. That's why Peter puts this command to abstain from them with the call to live as aliens and strangers. Because the two enemies work together. Our external enemy and our internal enemy work together. Because the world gives in to these desires. Christians must not give in or we lose the war. Don't give in. I remember a time not too long ago that I gave in to one of my mine, gluttony. Our family had sat down to a delicious spaghetti dinner, one of my favorites. And towards the end of the meal, I got up and I fixed myself a second heaping plate that I absolutely did not need. I knew I didn't. Okay? I had a fleshly lust arise within me that told me that the second plate would make me happy. You're with me, aren't you? I was stressed and I was frazzled and I let myself listen to the internally sourced lie that I deserved another plate after a long day of meetings and sermon writing. The world says, you deserve a break today, Matt. Pamper yourself. You deserve the best. I saw a banner at Walmart that said literally, submit a little, rebel a lot. It said that, okay? And I believed it. I swallowed it, literally. And there was a little battle in my soul's war that was lost as I downed that plate and paid for it later. Now you may think that's a little thing, and it's quite natural for me to want a second plate, an extra plate. But that's just the point. It is natural to sin. It's natural to have desires for things I should not have. God is calling us as Christians in 2014 to abstain from those. To not do what comes naturally in that sense. To live differently. To not fit in and to not give in. What is it that wars against your soul these days? Write it down on the back of your bulletin with a renunciation of it. It might be gluttony like it was for me. Or it could be something completely different. What desires are natural for you but must be resisted in your ongoing war with sin? The world says to us, follow your heart as if our hearts were an infallible guide. One of the worst pieces of advice is that kind of disnification of follow your heart. No. No, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Do you have an ongoing war with sin? Or have you just given in? Write down your enemy that you need to kill. I'll give you a few seconds. Agape toy, don't give in. Instead, number three and last, do good deeds. Do good deeds. Listen to verse 12. Live such good lives. Now the good there is literally excellent or honorable or beautiful. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds, same good, excellent, honorable, beautiful deeds, and glorify God 
on the day He visits us. Peter will go on in this epistle to give practical examples of this principle at work in different kinds of relationships. Civilian, work, marriage. Our link group's going to study that as we go through 1 Peter. These relationships may not always be with the best of people, unbelievers, that have a grudge against you just for living differently. And that's what our culture has become in 2014. There is a growing bias against Christianity, at least in some areas. And we need to prepare as people for how we're going to act. We need to prepare as Christians for how we're going to act when people don't like us. When the world stops hitting our like button. Christianity used to have a favored status in the United States. Now, I'm not saying that we were ever a Christian nation. I don't, I don't know exactly what Christian nation would mean. A nation doesn't have a heart. A nation can't receive Christ. But we had a Christian heritage. We were a nation with many Christians in it and a nation that had Christian assumptions, Christian presuppositions. Americans liked Christians, in other words. And, and we assumed a kind of cultural Christianity for good or ill. But that day is in many ways over. And instead of moaning and whining about it, or trying somehow to vote it back into existence, we instead need to think of ourselves as aliens and strangers here. Angel, a, angels, no, not angels. Aliens and strangers warring against the flesh with righteousness and good deeds so that someday those slanderous mouths against us will be silenced. See what I'm saying? Do you remember a few weeks ago I said that the campus ministry intervarsity had been de-recognized by the California State Universities? No longer recognized uh, student groups on campus because... They required the student leaders to believe the teachings of Christianity. It only makes sense to me. If you're going to be a leader in a group, you're going to have to believe what that group believes. But not in California. Well, that's going to be the new normal, folks. We need to get our heads around that. Unless there's a revival for which we can pray, and gospel transformation of many people, that's the sort of thing we can expect into the future. But here's the good part. It doesn't change anything. The intervarsity Christians are just going to get more creative. They're just going to keep on doing what they were doing and living out Christianity before the watching world. Nothing's changed in our mission. It doesn't change Christianity when the culture changes around us. We were always supposed to be pilgrim people. Live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, there will be lots of that. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. The day God visits us in verse 12 is either the day God visits a person with salvation or when God brings judgment. Both will be present at the second coming of Christ. Peter is saying, live your life before unbelieving humanity in such a way that over time they will see there's something good and different about you. You don't fit in. And that's good. And on the day that God visits, there will be just judgment for those who saw your life and still did not believe. And for others, there will be salvation because they saw your good deeds and came to praise a God who could do something miraculous. 
Because it is miraculous when we abstain from sinful desires and do good things. That's God at work in us to will and to do His good pleasure. If you have any measure of victory in the war against sin, that's God. And others may see it and come to believe the gospel. Because they are watching, you know. Peter got these words, I'm pretty sure, from the Lord Jesus Himself. Who said, let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds and praise you and really give you credit for being a good person. Just checking to make sure you're still awake. No, he said, praise your Father who made your holiness and good deeds possible through His grace. Because that's the goal. The goal hasn't changed at all. The goal is the ultimate glorification of God. And we get there by doing good deeds. So you see the progression? First, recognize yourself as dearly loved by God Himself. When the rest of the world doesn't hit your like button, it won't bother you. Because you know you're loved by God. And then second, recognize that you're an alien and stranger who doesn't belong here. You feel that sometimes? Like, oh, I just don't feel like I fit. Some of that's really good. Cherish that feeling when you don't fit in with the world. And then, internally fight the war with sinful desires. The soul war. And then finally, externally, let your light shine with good deeds. God is saying that to you in 2014. To live a good life. To do good deeds. We shouldn't, we shouldn't just turn all inward. And just focus on other Christians and focus on ourselves. We should be outward. Focused on others. Do morally praiseworthy things. Beautiful things. Being good is not just not doing other things. It is sacrificing something for someone. Helping someone. Pray for someone. Pray with someone. Minister to someone at work. Do your job really well when no one is looking. Volunteer. Call someone to encourage them. Keep your promises. Forgive someone. Apologize to someone. Stand up for someone who's being picked on or talked about. Do good deeds. I love it that our youth girls on Wednesday nights are learning about doing good deeds. And this Wednesday they're going to be praying for us, for anything we turn in. They're going to pray for us in that. It's exactly right. Do good deeds and do them in such a way that you stick out as a kingdom citizen who is sold out to Jesus Christ so that He gets the glory on the day He comes back to visit us. Maybe right now God is laying a good deed on your heart. Write it down on your handout sheet on the back of your bulletin. Don't let this pass. Don't go a day or more than two before you do it. Let me give you another second to write it down with a prayer to live a good life before your unbelieving neighbors. Brothers and sisters, God loves you. And here's what He wants from you. Don't fit in. Don't give in. Do good deeds.